I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 17 through 24. Yes, in a moment we're going to do something we've never done before at Cross Creek Church, show a video clip. So Derek's going to be moving some things around. But as we look at Ephesians 4, I invite you to, um, to look there with me, and I'll remind you again, it's really helpful for us to understand where we are in the, the Scriptures as we go through them. Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, we focused uh, over the last uh, six or seven weeks on what God has done for us in Christ, the, uh, the principles of salvation, if you will. Now, as we move into Ephesians 4 through 6 and move deeper into it, we're going to see the, uh, the practices of salvation. How do we live out our salvation as those uh, gathered together by God and in whose lives uh, God is at work? So that's where we're headed today. Uh, again, or digging deeper into it, I invite you in recognition of God's Word to stand and uh, look with me at Ephesians 4. I'll read it aloud and y'all just read along with me silently. We stand just in recognition of God's Holy Word. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have learned about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You may be seated. And let's pray again. Oh, Father, I pray that you would teach us during this time. Help us to grow in you and understand more of how you are at work. Help us to grow and move and put off the old and put on the new because of the power and the work of Christ in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we turn to this uh, video clip today, probably some of you are familiar with the story of Les Miserables. I'm, I'm confessedly low culture, so I have only seen it in the movie portrayal that you're about to see uh, a clip from. Uh, as we watch the clip, you will see that uh, this clip tells and shows the transforming power of grace to change a life, to take us from an old way to move us from a, a move us to a new way. And I invite you to, to watch it here as it plays. The first scene is very dark. It's just Jean Valjean sitting on a park bench and being told to go to the priest's house. So I'm sorry about the light issues, but I think y'all will benefit from it. I know. All right. Well, if you're familiar with the story at all, it is a compelling uh, story. Jean Valjean comes to the priest's house, knocks on their door. He's been uh, urged to go and to, to seek help at their house. And he and this priest have a, a powerful interchange where they talk about the fact that um, the, the woman that's, that's living there that's helping the priest out, she asks, you know, what has he been in prison for? He says, well, maybe it was murder. Because how do I know, how do you know I'm not going to try to murder you? 
priest responds and says, well, how do you know I'm not going to try to murder you? And Jean Valjean is this criminal that's come out of this background. He's been in prison for a number of years. And he goes to bed. They, uh, welcome, they welcome him into their home. He goes to bed that night. And having been fed a meal, having been shown grace, he lays his head down on the pillow and begins to dream and remember his old life, his life in the prison, his life of being mistreated, his life. And he even looks at one scene like he's an animal, like he's become an animal because of that situation. He's turned himself into something uh, less than human, if you will. He gets up in the middle of the night and begins to go and gather the silver and all the valuables from the priest's residence there. And as he is gathering those things up, the priest awakens in the middle of the night to come look and see what the disturbance is. He hears some of the noise. Jean Valjean hides for a minute, and then as the priest comes in, strikes him over the head and knocks him out. He takes the silver, runs off into the night. The next scene shows the morning time. Well, the woman who lives with the priest is upset. She's in tears that they have lost their silver. And the priest declares, we can use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Then Jean Valjean is brought back by the authorities in chains with his hood over his head, again, looking like something less than a man. The priest says, I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. I'm very upset with you. The authorities say, we brought him back. He claims, this criminal claims, that you gave him all of this silver. The priest says, indeed, indeed I did. Jean Valjean, I'm very upset with you that you did not take the candlesticks as well. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. You could have gotten a lot of money for them to help you on your way. The authorities are befuddled, but they can't argue with the priest, and so they unchain him. The priest looks eye to eye with Jean Valjean and says, Do not ever forget this. I have bought you. I have bought you with a price. You are no longer that old man. You are a new man. If you follow the story along, it wasn't in our clip for this morning that we didn't see, but um, the story goes on to tell about years later, Jean Valjean has in fact been transformed, not just by human grace, that, that human grace from the priest has been for him a demonstration of divine grace of what God is doing for each one of us who are in Christ and giving us abundantly what we don't deserve and instead of giving us the consequences we get you know for trying to knock God out of our lives instead he shows us grace and kindness and love and the the demonstration in Jean Valjean's life is that he lives as a changed man it has an impact on him and as you you and I read in these verses today so too we see a call in this passage for us to walk in newness of life and if you're someone who likes to Follow along a bit. There's a section on the back of your bulletin that has an outline of our message today. And I think the main idea is pretty simple in these verses. That through the power of Christ, and that's very important, through the power of Christ, that we are called to walk and put off the old self and put on the new self that's being remade in the Lord. We think about this, and as we think about the first verse of this passage, it 
talks about this former life of the Gentiles. He's talking to this Gentile people and about their former way. We think about this. We know all of us come from some kind of background. We all have some kind of family setting. We all have certain experiences that have shaped us. Maybe it was really good. Maybe it was really bad. And the interesting thing about these verses is that they don't say those things aren't unimportant. What they do say is that all of us, regardless of our background, regardless of whether we just recently have come to faith in Christ and that background is just a step behind us or it's been for us maybe growing up in a Christian family and it's been for us a long time since we have not known Christ, all of us wrestle with this old self. This sinful nature is, is always uh, at, at work, and we're always being called to put that off and put on this new nature in Christ. These verses remind us, too, that it's, it's interesting. We tend to think of kind of our behaviors as being associated with the old nature. We do things. We turn away from God. Our behaviors, the things we say, the actions we take, very interesting. As we look through these verses, we see that it's actually something in our mind says that our way of thinking about God is off track. We could put it this way. One, if we're honest, myself included, we don't think about God. We don't spend time thinking about God. We don't use our minds to direct them towards God. If we do think about God, we often find that we're thinking about Him incorrectly. You know, we read verses in the Scripture and all of a sudden we discover God, God doesn't work the way we thought He he does. We don't think about him rightly, and often we just don't think about him very deeply. Our minds are not engaged with God as they should be. Do we believe that today about ourselves? We think about how we use our minds, how we think about life. Also see in these verses that there's a sort of hardness and callousness that's built up by that in years and years of practice or in different areas of life, we see there's some hardness and, and it's hard to break through that. And we find because of that, that the, the promises of God, the good things of God don't, don't give us the hope that they should. The glories of God don't seem to rouse us to excitement and engagement with the Lord the way that they should. The beauty of Christ's work and forgiveness often just barely elicits any response from us. And we certainly, myself included, don't tremble to seek to walk in newness of life. Don't tremble to seek the holiness of the Lord. As we walk through these verses then, we'll see how is it that the power of Christ can work in us to help us begin to put off the old and to begin to put on the new. And what does that even look like? The first thing we need to see as we do that is this issue of conversion, that in a sense, is, is not really in these verses. It's, you know, this is one book of the Bible, Ephesians. It's a one letter meant to be read in order. And again, the first three chapters talk a lot about how we come to faith in Christ. So Paul is assuming that. He even says it. If you look with me at the passage in, um, in verse 20 and 21, he says, But that is not the way you learned Christ. He goes on and says, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. Paul is assuming that there's some reality of grace. There's some recognition of what God has done 
in the lives of those he is writing to. So in a sense, he's assuming something that we call conversion, that we have come to at least a beginning place of saying, Lord, I am tired of this old life. I know I have offended you with my old life. I want to put that off. I know I need your grace and your mercy that you've given me in Christ, and I desire now to walk with him. That's a, that's a starting point for us. And then as we grow as believers, whether that point for us was way back when, when we were little, or it just happened two weeks ago, we, we then begin to walk and roll that out in our lives, this newness of life. So he's assuming this conversion is there. I like what J.I. Packer says, and I think it's maybe in your bulletin as well. He says, the New Testament doesn't say that Christians must lead holy lives in order to become saints. It's not the message of it. Instead, it tells Christians that because they are saints, they've already been declared righteous by God, already been given the work of Christ, that we should walk as saints, as those who are holy ones seeking to walk with God. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles, you can to Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 11. And we'll read a good chunk here. I'm going to go through it fast because we've got, you know, limited time today. But this is the story of, it's called the story of the prodigal son. It's really the story of two lost sons. There's a younger son that you'll see is clearly lost. The older son, we find out, is also lost in a different way. Neither one really is seeking the heart of their father, really is seeking the heart of the Lord, uh, as this parable shows us. Starting in verse 11 of Luke 15, it says, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In case you don't get what he's saying, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance ahead of time. Interesting thing, the father divides the property between them. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. No longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field. He came and drew near the house. He heard the music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother's come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he, the brother, 
was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And now he's found. It's a powerful picture of the gospel there. The gospel that we need. Again, whether we see ourselves as the older brother, we seem to stay home. We're pretty good people. We pay our taxes. Or whether we're the one sitting in the pig sty looking at that pig food as if it is something very good. We probably see both in ourselves at various points. I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, though, about this issue of conversion. There has got to be a decisive step, he says. And we begin that step when we come to faith in Christ. He says, unless a definite step is is demanded, the call of the gospel vanishes into thin air. If men imagine that they can follow Jesus without taking this step, without beginning at some point to say we want to put off the old life and the new, They're deluding themselves like fanatics. Although Peter cannot achieve his own salvation, he can leave his nets. Okay, so these verses begin with the idea that we we are understanding that, that there's been some degree in our lives where we say we want to come to faith and want to know Christ and want to walk with Him. I don't know that we need to, you know, be OCD on this. We we don't need to have to know, you know, the exact moment or time or situation. If we do, that's, that's great. But what we need to ask ourselves is, is that true of me? Has this work begun in my life? Because it's, it's front-loaded into these verses, and we've got to have that before we move forward. And if you don't, I invite you to, to talk to somebody about it. I'll, I'd be happy to talk with you about what that means to begin to understand that life change. Okay, so with conversion in mind, then we move into these verses, which in a sense, the next uh, part of Ephesians, I hope you'll be back in future weeks, is going to, you know, spill this out. Again, roll out that carpet of what this means. But today we'll talk a little bit about it. This putting on and putting off is pretty simple for us to understand. Just like a, a prisoner who's getting out of prisoner, uh, out of prison, uh, changes out those old prison uniforms. They, they leave that thing behind and put on some street clothes, some regular clothes to go out into the street and begin their new life. So too, for us as believers, the, the Bible is saying, if indeed it's true that our old way, our old self is to walk in sinfulness and to turn away from the Lord, that's not good for us. So we need to put on something new. Uh, when Patience and I were first married, we lived in a small uh, one-bedroom apartment and I remember one morning I was trying to get ready without making a disturbance. It was dark out still, and, you know, a small room there, so clothes kind of get thrown around different places. And I was uh, trying to put on these, these pants, and I put, you know, one foot into the leg, and I was pulling on it, and then I thought, well, maybe I just need to get my other leg, and this thing will work. Okay, and I was trying to pull it, and I got them up just kind of right about here, and I had caused so much racket, you know, moving around, maneuvering, that patients had awakened. You know, I was trying to be quiet. She clicked on the light, and she began to laugh, sort of, and then also be a little bit surprised. And she said, Chris, what are you doing putting on my pants? 
You know, when it's dark, I'll, I'll mention I haven't made a habit of that too. Um, you know, when it's dark, you can't see. These, and these verses are telling us that we're darkened. And so we, we need God to enlighten us so that we can see what we need to put on for us. And that's what the next uh, passages in Ephesians are going to, to tell us. So we need to begin, though, with this heart to put off the old self and put on the new. Take a look back with the verses with me, just a couple more thoughts, and then we'll conclude for today. If you look in um, verse 18, it talks about this condition that we have, this old self, that again, when we see God's grace, when we see his majestic love for us, we're supposed to want to put off. It tells us we're darkened in our understanding, our tendencies to be alienated, separated from God, Instead of walking with him, there's an ignorance to it. There's a hardness to our heart. They have, it goes on and tells us that we become callous, verse 19, that we tend to run. It even says, it uses this phrase, greedy for impurity. Okay? Sometimes if we're honest, when we're wrestling, whatever areas of temptation, probably a lot of us have different areas that seem to plague us regularly, we'll find that, in fact, we're not just tempted. We don't just occasionally stumble into them. We actually, our, our old self is such that, that we're greedy to go down that direction. We want to move down that direction. The gospel calls us to move out of this. We won't turn to Colossians 3, 5, but it gives even a more graphic picture. This image of sort of putting off the old self is kind of nice. It's sort of tame, just changing clothing garments. In Colossians 3, 5, Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to the old life. Kill it. And the gospel for us, we can't ever secure our salvation by our righteousness. We know that. But it demands a response. And the response is supposed to be radical. We're supposed to desire change. I think you've got on your sheet a quote from John Owen, one of these uh, Puritan guys. And I like to read them because they're outside of our time frame. And sometimes they've got a way of saying things that we're just not ready to to hear in our time, or you don't hear anybody saying, he says, let, he says, let not that man think that he makes any progress in holiness. Let not that man think that he makes any progress in holiness, who walks not over the neck of his lust, who doth not kill sin in his way. He who doth not kill sin in his way takes no steps towards his journey's end. The question for us there is just, Pretty simple, really. Is the gospel working in our lives in such a way, folks, that we just kind of want to manage sin in our lives? Or are we being compelled to walk on the necks of our temptations and our sins? The gospel of grace certainly calls us to a newness of life. So we put off the old self. We're called now to a newness of life. And I'll just point out to you verses uh, 24 speak about that. Is the main verse. Verse 24 says, We've been given this new self and we're to put on a new self now, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So are sort of, you know, not categories we probably even as, as believers many of us talk about, of seeking. Today I'm going to get up and I want to walk through my life and seek righteousness and holiness. It's probably not. A big category for us. I like the story of the, uh, or the quotation of the little boy who was overheard praying. He said, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a pretty good time just like I am. 
That tends to be uh, my attitude, I know, about living out this Christian life. I don't, don't really, I don't really want, I kind of, I want the gravy of the Christian life, the grace and so forth, but I don't really want to undergo transformation, even if I know it's good for me, even if I know I'd be able to be a powerful blessing in other people's lives, I'd be able to live in a transformed way, I'd be able to walk with greater peace and joy, be freed up from anxiety and worry. All of these things uh, would, would be uh, working their way out of my life. I still don't desire it as I should. One other quote, and then we'll end. And this comes from Francis Schaeffer in his book, True Spirituality. What we're going to see again in the next few weeks as we walk through Ephesians is how. What are the nuts and bolts of how we actually start to do this? So today is admittedly a little bit uh, philosophical. We're starting out with the idea, and then we'll fill in the idea in the weeks ahead. But one thing that is certain, as I said in the main idea of this message, it's only through the power of Christ that we begin to walk in this path. It starts with the conversion we have to experience of seeing His grace and mercy, and then it plays out as He gives us power to do this. Because if we, if we try to do this, we were here in, in Sunday school this morning about using our words to glorify God and to encourage other people. You try for, just try for one day to say only things that are helpful and encouraging to other people around you. You won't get very far. I don't, I don't get very far anyway, just for a few moments it would seem. So we can't do this on our own, and I like what Francis Schaeffer says. He says there's no mechanical solution to true spirituality. He says anything that has the mark of the mechanical upon it is a mistake. He says it's not possible to say, although you know, Schaeffer would say it's good to read your Bible, it's good to pray. He says it's not possible to say pray so long every day and you'll have a certain amount of sanctification. Read the Bible a certain amount every day and you'll have a certain amount of sanctification. It's not possible to add the two together, he says, and to have this big piece of sanctification. The Christian life, true spirituality, he says, can never have that kind of mechanical solution. Rather, he says this, the real solution is being cast up into the moment-by-moment personal communion with God himself and letting Christ's truth flow through me through the agency of the Holy Spirit. This is what we can and should desire to happen as we seek to put off the old self and put on the new so that we might walk in Christ's likeness. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do thank you that you have taken our lives that in and of themselves uh, lacked much and were turned away from you. And at whatever point, we thank you, Lord, that you have laid hold of them. I pray for folks even this morning that perhaps are beginning to experience your call in that way. I pray for the power of your grace to break through. And as we see that grace, Lord, we do plead that you would allow us to put off these old ways that we have declared are not for our good and not for your glory, and instead to walk in newness of life that's pleasing to you and that's also rich and wonderful for us. Help us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.